everyone, and welcome to the Summit Players podcast. My name is AJ Magoon. I'm the executive director of Summit Players Theatre, and I'm here today to talk a little bit about The Comedy of Errors, uh, which was the third show that Summit Players Theatre produced. We last produced it in 2017, Uh, and I am joined today by a, a good friend, uh, you may recognize her from the Milwaukee area, from uh, teaching with Pink Umbrella Theater Company or First Stage, or uh, on stage roles with Voices Found Repertory, with the Constructivists, Barton Bourbon, and others. Uh, welcome to Rebecca Farr. Hello. Hi, Rebecca. Glad to have you. Glad to be here. Uh, before we start, do you want to just give, I guess, maybe a little background about yourself and then a little background about, you know, what's your connection to Comedy Bearers? Sure. So um, I'm an actor, teaching artist. Uh, personally want to focus on accessible theater, which uh, I had someone ask me once, they're like, you love Shakespeare. Isn't that kind of hard to make accessible? <laughs> and I was like, that's a good point. Um, but you know, I'm learning. Um, working with Pink Umbrella is probably the, currently like my main focus right now. Uh, they focus on accessible theater. So it's creating a platform for individuals who have any kind of emotional, mental, physical disability, because uh, a lot of theater companies uh, are just now learning how to open up traditional theater to be more accessible. So that's kind of my personal mission. Um, what brought me to Shakespeare when I was really little, I read Twelfth Night for like part of my curriculum in middle school and was like, yeah, I love this. This is great. <laughs> I fell in love with the comedy and Festy. And then Comedy of Errors I actually didn't have any experience with until last summer. I worked with Optimist, uh, which is the Shakespeare Company in Milwaukee. They do, like, every summer, they do a free show, which is part of being accessible, too, right? That's, like, a a, a lens of accessibility is financial accessibility. So that was really nice. I was super interested in working with them and luckily was cast as Dromeo Syracuse, and that was an incredible experience. And that's that's my only experience with (laughs) comedy of errors. Yeah, it's it's a chat between Dromeos today. Because yeah. when, when Summit did it in, in 2017, I played both Dromeos. Uh, so yeah, this is a, this is a, a head-to-head Dromeo chat here. Yeah. Which is, is, <laughs> which is great. It's, it's time for Dromeo to be telling the story. Yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> I'm trying to think. <laughs> I feel like, the, like before we even start talking about comedy of errors, I feel like we should talk about the source material, quote unquote, um, because comedy is one of those, one of those Shakespeare shows that really does have like a good single source. Like it's really obvious where he pulled it from, um, which is which is Plautus, which is the, the Menachme or the Brothers Menachmus. Do you, how much do you know about, about the, the Menachmi? Nothing, I'm here to learn, tell it's me. It's so interesting, so Plautus, was for for Rebecca and for everyone at home. Uh, Plautus was a was a Roman playwright, and he wrote uh, a play called uh, the Menachmi, or the Brothers Menachmus, or the Twin Menachmus, or the Two Menachmuses. It all kind of depends on who translates the play for you. Um, right. And it was like arguably his most famous play, like easily like the one he's sort of best known for. People would say yeah. it's his best play. And it's about these two brothers, these two twin brothers, and they're named Menachmus. They're both named Menachmus. Um, And one of them is from Syracuse. um, And the other one actually is not from Ephesus, like like in Comedy of Errors. The other one is from, oh goodness, now I'm losing my my note. Uh, Where is he from? Uh, Sorry, give me a second. It's okay. Oh, the other one is from Epidamnus or Epidamnus. Um, okay. And so, or which is interesting because uh, in in the Aegean speech at the top of Comedy of Errors, he talks about about sailors of Epidamium who who yeah. come and, and take his his wife and his other son away. So Maybe we have a Shakespeare nod. Kind of. Yeah, I feel like it is because it's they don't end up in in Epidamnus; they end up in in uh, Ephesus, which is also really interesting if you look at the geography 
because um, Syracuse is still around. You, you know, you can, you can still visit mm -hmm. it and it's, it's sort of on the edge of Sicily. So it's in, it's in very Southern Italy. Um, okay. And Epidamnus is in sort of the modern day Balkans right across the Adriatic Sea. So it's like the sort of Croatia, Montenegro, Bosnia and Herzegovina area over there. Okay. But Ephesus is in Turkey. It's it's on the on the very uh, uh, western coast of, of Turkey. So when Shakespeare <laughs> took the play, he just brought one of the twins way further away. Like you think about, I, th I think it was his probably his way of like increasing, like heightening the stakes, because all yeah. of a sudden you have one brother who you know. From, from Italy to the other side of a the Adriatic Sea isn't super far, you know, for those days, it's kind of far. But then yeah. from, you know, from Syracuse to, to Ephesus is way farther. And yeah, well, like, we got to get that long journey, right? Of exactly. Syracuse, like his whole life trying to find it. So that that's kind of nice. It's so interesting. And I, I'm guessing it's probably also, you know, it's it reflects... A growing awareness of how big the world really is you know yeah. you go you know Plautus being a Roman I mean the Romans conquered so much but you know how much of the empire had Plautus seen like when he refers right. to Syracuse and Epidamium how you know how how much of the world does he know about versus Shakespeare yeah absolutely yeah. but it's interesting so you know, Plautus writes this play about two twins named Menachmus, and their father is a businessman, and he takes them both on a on like a trip. And while he while they're on the trip, a, a another businessman, like a rival merchant or something, essentially abducts one of his children and just raises it as his own. So there's no what? shipwreck plot. There's nothing like that. It's just one of the kids gets kidnapped, and. Okay. Uh, and and it's the other, boring. yeah, and the other one <laughs> goes back to Syracuse, and then the father just dies of grief, like he's he just can't believe that it, it's happened. So he never gets redeemed. That's he, so there's sad. no redemption for him. Like the parents are just out of the picture in this one. Wow. And I think the the son, the the Syracusean twin, isn't even originally named Menachmus. He's originally named Sosicles. And then his grandfather renames him Menachmus after his brother gets kidnapped as like a tribute. Honor him. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that actually kind of happens in Comedy of Errors. Okay. Yeah. I, if I, I remember correctly, he talks about, um, Aegean talks about how once they lose the other pairing, I'm pretty sure they name them after. Interesting. The but That's that might like, not be true. That's like such a, I, I can't remember, because of course, you know, when we did it for Summit, we cut so much of that, of that of text, because yeah. what a, what an opening scene. This takes <laughs> 7,000 years. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's just, it's just, it's just one man speaking for as long as he possibly can. Absolutely. Giving his whole life story. Yeah. Like, <laughs> before you kill me, let me tell you everything that's ever happened to me. Yeah. It's pretty but, tragic. It, oh, it's it's a terribly it's it's such an interesting way to open a comedy, right? Like, yeah, absolutely. and such a such a broad comedy. Like I think that comedy of errors really lacks a lot of the nuance and a lot of the pathos that like Twelfth Night or Much Ado. Oh, for sure. Like it's it's much broader. It's much more slapstick. There's not nearly as much like depth of feeling and yet there's the, the yeah. saddest human scene in a comedy in the beginning. You know? yeah as as he just sort of says okay here's everything terrible that's ever happened to me he put all of it into one scene so it could just take the emotion out of the rest of the play yeah right <laughs> just who, who needs it we've we've summarized yeah. all the emotion that you're going to need the rest of the emotion is just confusion just consistently yep. pretty much <laughs> yeah anger Confusion, anger, mild yeah. wonder. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so, and then the rest of the twin Menachmus unfolds relatively similarly to the comedy of errors. You have the Syracusean twin arrives in, in Epidemnum um, mm -hmm. to find his twin in, in search of his twin brother um, mm -hmm. and ends up getting confused for his twin brother all over town. His twin brother is a bit of a philanderer and has a jealous wife. 
Um, and right. and because he he gets in a, a fight with his wife and goes to visit a courtesan who is his mistress and gives her she gives him a piece of jewelry in in the Menachmas. It's go. a it's a bracelet. She gives him a bracelet and she also gives him a, like a mantle or a stole um, mm-hmm. as opposed to a ring in the comedy bearers. Um, and yeah. then later the Syracusian brother runs into her and there's obviously there's because I think I think it's the Syracusian brother ends up with the actual jewelry from her. And he's like, oh, everyone's so nice in this town. I wonder what that's all about. <laughs> yeah, um, we get that in comedy too. That's yeah, right. and he gets, eventually there's an arrest and the, the brother from the Epidamian brother ends up, you know, arrested by, there's a doctor who says, oh, he's insane. And he ends up mm-hmm. tied up and arrested just like in comedy. Right? And then they, they run into each other at the very end and it's explained and everyone's redeemed and all that. So nice. like story beats wise, it's a really similar play. You can see that Shakespeare pretty much just took this and said, I'm going to, I'm going to leave the structure intact and I'm just going to improve it. Yeah, I'm just going to give my little Shakespeare classic symbols of the shipwreck and the ring. And then... The shipwreck, <laughs> like that's the other funny thing about the opening is it's like so Shakespearean. Yeah, like, absolutely. He takes it, he goes, he goes, the kidnapping, pff, we don't need a ki- shipwreck. Yeah. That's what <laughs> yeah, that's what they need. Yeah, that's good. There's but a lot more imagery, I guess, in a shipwreck, but who knows? Yeah, it's definitely. I mean, it's a big romance. I'm, you you feel like Shakespeare was working his whole career towards portraying an actual shipwreck on stage. Like yeah. we, we get there, we get there with Tempest finally, but he's so he's like, oh, just wants that. Yeah, he, like he want you know, we, we get the shipwreck described in comedy. Mm. We get the aftermath of the shipwreck in Twelfth Night. Yep. We get pirates in several plays. I mean, it's not exactly yeah. a shipwreck, but we get Pericles and Hamlet. Well, like the, the pirates are on stage in Pericles and they're mentioned in Hamlet. Yeah, and Merchant then, of Venice. That's right. Merchant has pirates. Well, yeah, it has the, the whole ships being lost and yeah. that's what causes like the trial to happen it's, you're right it's the whole like plot yeah <laughs> um i doesn't is, is it a fellow where there's there's talk of there being like terrible storms when they're on their way to cyprus mm-hmm. they finally yeah, arrive in cyprus like, and it's like oh my god thank god tension. we made it kind of thing yeah yeah I wonder if that was just like at the time, like very topical shipwrecks. I guess or I'm sure when sea. Yeah, when most of your when most of your overseas train, you know, when when anything that you can't reach by cart, you're you're taking a ship to go. I'm sure that yeah. it was a a thing people would understand. Oh, yeah. those darn shipwrecks. Miss them. The good old days with the shipwrecks. The biggest thing, though, that's different about comedy of errors is that there's two twins there's two sets right in in that really twin, amplifies it in the twin menachmus there's one set of twins and then uh the menachmus of syracuse has a slave he's got he's literally got a slave um which is another thing that like is really worth talking about you know both in that yeah. context and in the context of like how do we portray dromeo you know right. how did how did Shakespeare write him, and how do we understand him in a modern right. way? But uh, but yeah, so Shakespeare comes in and he adds another set of twins. Yeah, which is very cool. Yeah, and they're the, they're the servant twins, which is yeah. so interesting. Like they're the other, but they're like the I feel like the Dromeo Antiphilus relationship is really interesting because he's like he's the servant, but he he funds with Antiphilus. You know what I mean? He he. They seem to have a rapport going. Definitely. At least, in my opinion, like this Syracuse relationship seems to be pretty close, um, almost familial, depending on how you take it. In our um, performance of it at Optimist, I was really pursuing the play from a partnership lens when I first read it. You got all of these like groups of people. You got these big scenes of confusion and then you have a lot of little scenes of like sidebars with two people. So you've got Luciana and Adriana, you've got Aegean uh, and the Duke in the beginning, you've got Aegean and Amelia in the end, you have um, both the Ephesus, the Dromeo Ephesus and the um, Antiphilus of Ephesus and then the Syracuse of Ephesus and Antiphilus. You kind of have um, Antiphilus of Ephesus with a lot of people like Angelo 
who's like someone he's doing business with who creates confusion later. Um, his relationship with a courtesan also creates confusion later. And then you get to see all of those like little partnerships um, create a lot of tension. Remove like the actual twin who's a part of that partnership and then plug in the wrong twin and that's like what creates the confusion. So yeah, I mean, their relationship is really, is really strange for both pairings. I didn't get to pursue it from the Dromeo of Ephesus perspective, mm -hmm. but from Syracuse, I really felt like they, they almost had like a, like a brothership kind of relationship. It felt more like they worked together. Um, even when things started to go wrong, it was like, they were like Syracuse is being sent to kind of solve things <laughs> that mm -hmm. he can't solve. I'm, I, Interestingly, both by his uh, partner, both by his like Antiphilae, and by the Ephesus, because there's yeah. that where um, Antiphilus of Ephesus is being arrested, and he sees Dromeo, which is Dromeo of Syracuse, and thinks it's his Dromeo, mm -hmm. and sends him to go get the gold. So, like, yeah, there's very interesting partnership there, even in light of like the violence that's written into Shakespeare's play. Oh yeah reading of those characters, but there seems to also be like a lot of trust, which is very interesting. It's very, and I have to sidebar before we go back to that real quick, because you talked about yeah. Angelo, and my favorite yeah. thing, my favorite thing about uh, looking at the, the comparison between this and the twin Menachmus is that um, the Angelo character in the Menachme is, is named Paniculus, and Wikipedia just describes him as Menachmus of, Eph or of uh, Epidamium's uh, parasite. Ah! It's Menachmus's parasite. And I'm like, that's such an interest. Like, I have no idea what that really actually means. Yeah, because he's yeah. like leached onto him. Yeah, I guess. It's such an interesting. But anyways, back to, back to <laughs> Dromeo. Yeah, the fact that like, because I, I think that, yeah, having, having done both of them for Summit, I think yeah. that there really is a sense that, yeah, that Ephesus is a little bit more put upon than, mm. than the Syracusan Dromeo. He's a little bit, I mean, he expects more uh, guff from pretty much everybody because there's yeah. the, the scene where he comes to Adriana and he tells her that, that Antiphilus isn't coming back to dinner because um, right. he's run into the wrong Antiphilus already. And she berates him and tells him to go back and and he's got that whole whole speech about you spurn me hence and she shall spurn me hither you know and right. and how uh he's like a football if i am if i am used in the surface if i last in the service you must case me in leather he says um, yeah so the fact that like poor dromeo of ephesus just kind of expects that everyone's gonna abuse him a little bit like right. i feel like syracuse is a lot more surprised when someone yes. whacks him upside the head Absolutely, he gets hit and he has that whole scene where he, like, he lays into his master, basically. He's yeah. kind of like, how dare you do this to me? Honestly, the first one of the pairing that are the stranger, the two Syracuse buddies who are visiting, he's the first one to be like, okay, okay, we got to get out of here. I don't like this because of Nell, which is actually my favorite scene. And it might be my favorite scene because uh, Robert Spencer was oh. our well, and they took out the character of uh, Luce. Um, okay. Oh, yeah. And replaced Nell so that Nell could be on stage and get introduced oh, um, in that, that classic door scene where you have the two Dromeos on either yeah. side of the door. Um, and so I'm like sitting there like fuming because Antiphilus went inside to get his dinner and ditched me for these like random women that we don't know. And then all of a sudden this, this big beautiful lady comes out and she's like kind of greasy and imagine this wonderful Robert Spencer like offering you a spoon and force feeding you soup. It was, yes. it, was <laughs> it was so much fun. But he drove me up Syracuse He's kind of the first one, like, Antiphilus is a little enamored with this world, right? He thinks mm -hmm. it's a little magical in a positive way. Kind of what we get in, like, the original play that Shakespeare basically ripped off. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but he's so nice. They keep giving me all these rich things. Um, they're offering me dinner. These women are into me. And Dromeo's like, this woman is into me, and I am not into it. <laughs> I do not feel good. We need to get out of here. And I feel like he has a lot of say, like, a lot more seems like 
voice than Dromeo of Ephesus does, which is really interesting. That's a really good point that, yeah, he seems to have a lot of agency. I feel like Dromeo of Syracuse really is the smartest character in the show. <laughs> yeah. Like, he's, he's low-key the one who knows what's going on. Like you say, pretty he much before... That. Yeah, he, like, he, and, you know, the, the bit where the, the courtesan encounters him and, and uh, Antiphilus of Syracuse. Yeah. Uh, and he's, and, you know, she, she starts talking like she knows them, and he immediately goes, it's a witch. She's a witch. Like, Run no, away. Run away. Get away. Get out of here. She's a demon. She's a <laughs> demon. She's go. the devil. Um, yeah. yeah, like, he's so, like, yeah, Antiphilus is willing to entertain this. He's like, people are giving me money and yeah. clothes. I, yeah. I could live the, in this place. And Jeremy's like, no, we gotta, we gotta go. <laughs> we gotta get the heck out of here. Yeah, which, I mean, kind of has to do with his servant position because Dromeo of Syracuse isn't really getting anything nice out of this because he's not Antipolis, yeah. right? He's, he's in a low position. He doesn't, he's getting beat he over the head. He has like, a lot of voice. He like, is very loud and brave, but he doesn't actually have a lot of power like in comparison to Antiphilus in this situation. No. So, yeah, absolutely. I, I think he's the smartest, but that is probably biased because I got to play him. <laughs> of course, yeah, we're both biased. This is a very, this yeah. is gonna be a very pro-Dromeo podcast. I mean, if anybody absolutely. doesn't think it, they should just tune out now. Like, that's just gonna be yeah. how this is gonna go. Um, but it's interesting, too, <laughs> to talk about, about Dromeo, like, specifically about Dromeo's position with Antiphilus, because it kind of brings us back to the concept of like what what really is Dromeo to Antiphilus in, in either context, either Syracuse or or Ephesus. You know, we're told at the beginning of the play that, you know, this this woman had twins in the, at the, on the same night that Antiphilus was born. And, you know, she couldn't afford to raise them. So we just we just bought them. We just bought and, these kids. And these yeah. are servants now. And I mean, I think that a lot of, you know, I think a lot of productions kind of attempt to, and I think probably rightfully so, attempt to sort of smooth the relationship between Antiphilus and, and uh, Dromeo and make it a little bit more amenable because ultimately, mm. you know, we're, we're, we're discussing a kind of indentured servitude, if not outright That's slavery. True. And, you know, yeah. you talk about the slave that the Menachmus has in, uh, that Menachmus of Syracuse has in, uh, in the twin Menachmus. And you start genuinely talking about like the concept of slavery in this play, which is very weird. I think especially to like a modern American sensibility because right. Greek slavery, Roman slavery, like slavery in the ancient world is not the same as the sort of American, you know, chattel slavery system that is, right. that is so shaped our cultural conscious and like is such the basis for so much of, you know, the way we see divisions in the world today. Yeah. But I think it's hard to kind of interpret like what, it, okay, what does it mean that like Antiphilus has a slave? Like that's kinda, yeah. that makes you feel gross. How do you handle that in a comedy? And then also how do you handle like the violence? Because yeah. there, there's like whole bits of comedy that are based around them beating these people and it being like totally chill. Yeah. But <laughs> it's not. How you do know? you, how, yeah, like how do you, you know, how do you make it slapstick without making a joke out of like the poor guys just getting beaten? Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. it's an interesting line you gotta tread. And and Dromeo of Ephesus's monologue about, you know, when I am when I am cold, he heats me with beating. When I am warm, right. he cools me with beating. You know, I am waked with it when I sleep. Uh yeah. all these, you know, all these things where he just and you know, once again to go back to him as kind of the put the more put upon of the two Dromeos. Absolutely. Like, Poor Dromeo of Ephesus is just like, yeah, I'm just, I'm just used to it. It just happens all the time. And like, how do you treat that in a way that keeps it funny, but still, you know, right. recognizes that like, it's not super cool to just go around randomly hitting people, especially people that are trying to help you. Yeah. Especially people that don't really have any agency because they've been like forced into living yeah. life. That's very interesting. I think the way I've seen it done kind of seriously before, which is kind of how Optimus tried to take it, is in the moments where the Dromeos are like actually talking about the abuse they're experiencing. They're not really joking. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't really know, like critically, I don't know how that works as like an audience member 
or like for future productions, like whether that's a good choice or not. But I do think that that exists in every Shakespeare play that you do. Oh yeah. There's going to be bits of, of things that are problematic and outdated and um, not okay, that you have yeah. to like discuss how do we handle this so that we're not like promoting um, something that's actually unhealthy. <laughs> Absolutely. Especially in comedy, especially. Oh yeah. People would be like, oh yeah, this is great. We love this. <laughs> For, yeah. Um, you know? Well, and it's the question of, yeah, like how do you, do you make it more serious? Sure. You know, I think I think the tack that Summit took when we interpreted the play was to kind of give him give more Dromeo give Dromeo more agency than maybe he has in the script, to kind oh, of nice. make him you know make him a little bit more of an equal. I mean, he's still okay. Antiphilus's servant, and we understand that. But at the same time, he's he's wow. wise, and he's you know, and he's he's got sort of his own desires and and means, and and can do all this okay. kind of stuff, and and it's sort of I mean, it takes a little bit out of the of the sting of the fact that he can't control his situation. You know, we kind of right. if if you if we adapt it in that way, then it's a little bit less like, oh my God, they're just beating on this poor, helpless, defenseless guy. Like, yeah, no, maybe he, you know, maybe he can take his his you know his lumps and also sort of give them out at the same time. Like, yeah, that's bit, nice. A little bit more of an equal. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think that's, yeah, you're right. With any Shakespeare play, I mean, what do you do? You have certain things that you got to address because they were written 400 yeah. years ago. Right. Yep. Absolutely. In England, nonetheless. Yeah. <laughs> but at a time, like a different culture, a world apart from ours. Yeah. You know, I mean, going back to like slavery, like there's so many concepts, you know, that, that just, that Shakespeare just didn't have that we have, you know, things, right. things that meant entirely different things to him. I mean, you can see it in the jokes that don't translate anymore because we don't understand references to, you know, whatever, you know. Yeah, exactly. But you also see that in the references to like these concepts where it's like, oh, that didn't age well. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, back then it meant something completely different. For sure. They had a different relationship with it entirely. Yeah. It's, I mean, you know, and I think that's something about making Shakespeare accessible is recognizing that you know, it's not just, it's not just the context of the culture that Shakespeare existed in that you've got to take into account. Like if you're doing Shakespeare without a, a consciousness of your, of, of the culture, of the prevailing culture today, the culture that you're, yeah. that you're presenting the show in, then you're, it's a history piece. It's not going to mean anything to anyone nowadays. Yeah. Well, and it might mean something and it might not mean like what you want it to mean. True. That's important to take into account when you're doing these stories for sure. I feel like we've been talking for a while but haven't actually like gone through the direct like I've I've hinted at the plot of Comedy of Errors. Yeah. But only really through the Monachmus. Do you want to like do you want to take a crack at like doing the actual plot of comedy for people who are listening to us reference certain scenes and are completely lost? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so it's very similar to Menachmus, um, except as we kind of referenced before, the first scene is Aegean and the Duke Salinas, who um, is, Aegean is, is a merchant, I believe, too, right? Yes. Um, mm -hmm. And he tells us this dramatic story about his twin sons and the twin pair of servants, which is Antiphilus and Dromeo, as we've been discussing. Um, and his wife, Amelia, they're all traveling on a ship and they get into a shipwreck and they get on either sides of the mast of the ship. So they're like hanging on to this piece of wood in the ocean and they get split apart. So he's, he explains the story of um, his wife and his son and the twin servant being split apart and they separate and are rescued by two separate ships and go in completely different directions in the world and then he never sees them again. Um, now the beginning of the scene is also a little dramatic because he's being um, accused by this duke uh, of potentially dying because the politics of this story that uh, Shakespeare writes in, Syracuse and Ephesus are actually um, at odds with each other. 
and they are not allowed to go into each other's lands. And they've like agreed that if someone from Ephesus goes into Syracuse or if someone from Syracuse goes into Ephesus, that they can legally be killed, basically. So Aegean is from Syracuse and he's in Ephesus and telling this like very tragic story to the Duke, um, hoping to save his life because he either has to pay this large amount of gold, which, you know, still works like that, um, he's gonna die. Uh, so that's our first scene of this comedy. It's just like a really dramatic epilogue, basically. And then the next scene that you get is um, right into the world of, of Ephesus. So Antipholus and Dromio also happen to be entering this uh, land of Ephesus at the same time as their the dad. Pair, the pair from Syracuse, yeah, they arrive exactly. on the exact same day. Which is, <laughs> good job, Shakespeare. So they, they don't meet the Duke. Um, they luckily have a friend um, who disguises them because they know that they're not supposed to be there, right? They know that they're in danger. But this is the last place that they've searched. So the dad and Antiphilus and uh, Jeromeo of Syracuse have spent their whole life looking for this other pair and for their mom. Um, they haven't found them. And it's been like, uh, depending on the text, I think there's actually a discrepancy in the text. It's been mm. like 30 years or like Dang. 20 years or something. Um, but regardless, it's been a long time. <laughs> this is like yeah. the final place um, that they're gonna search. And they waited um, to go there because it's not legal. And now they're disguised and they're going into the land. Um, and then you get a scene uh, where they are approached by Adriana and Luciana, who is the wife of uh, Antiphilus of Ephesus. So they're coming to this land. They're not allowed to be there, right? Luckily, the people that they're looking for are there. So they just have to find them. Like that's- How convenient. You know that as an audience member, but the way that they find them is going to be a, a bunch of like comedic confusions of identity. That's like the whole purpose of the play, right? So uh, Ephesus, Antipholus of Ephesus is actually like a well-established businessman in this place. And, um, you know, he's working on some business. His, he's been like out of the home a lot. So you get a scene of his wife and her sister, Adriana and Luciana, um, discussing uh, sort of like the jealous wife in the original play that Shakespeare is basing this off of. They're discussing how uh, Antipholus of Ephesus has been missing and Adriana, his wife, is a little concerned that maybe he isn't being faithful. So she comes into the scene of the two Antipholus and Romeo of Syracuse who are disguised. So uh, in most plays, they're wearing the same exact clothes as their, as their twin pairings, right? What a um, good disguise, too. <laughs> luckily, luckily, they fit right in. They look exactly like someone else. And she comes in to confront her, her husband, as she believes. Um, and obviously, there's a comedic scene there. And then she then leaves Dromeo of Syracuse outside. This is where you get your first sort of like ships in the night. These two twins almost see each other, but like don't see each other. Dromeo of Syracuse is supposed to like keep the gate. So he's being told to like watch the door and like not let anybody in. And along comes coming home to his own house, the Antipholus of Ephesus, like the, the Antipholus who actually lives there, the husband of the jealous wife who's just grabbed this in that she thinks is her husband and brought her, brought him home to dinner with her. He comes home expecting to come to dinner. He's brought his business buddies with him. He's like talking them up. He's like, oh, my wife is incredible. Uh, we're a great host. I'm excited for you to see this. And they get to the door and there's this servant that they don't know who won't let them in. So then there's a comedic scene there and where sounds, the two Dromeos. Yeah, that's yeah, the best part is that he sounds, he, like, he, he sounds exactly like their Dromeo. Yeah, like, and he what? even says that he's Dromeo. And so they think that it's like some servant shenanigans. They're like, why are you pretending to be his character? Why are you locking me out? And that creates like the first tension of the play. Um, and it's really funny because it's just 
two twins like on either side of the door yelling at each other. Yeah. Um, they don't get in. Ephesus, the two Ephesus pairs do not get in. Um, does create tension in his like business relationship, and they leave. Um... After that, uh, Antiphilus of Syracuse, who has no idea what the relationships with anyone here is, he's right. trying to court Luciana. He's trying to to get her uh, to marry him, because, or at least to you know to see him, because he's uh, he's immediately smitten with her, and she's like. Right. Dude, you're my 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 sister's husband. You yeah, absolutely cannot okay. like don't be a jerk. But then there's also these beautiful little bits where it's clear that she's also like immediately seeing him in a new light. Yeah, like she's like she's he's never almost a different person. <laughs> I wonder why is. that could be. Yeah, um, <laughs> which is yeah. There's those beautiful moments where she's like, don't don't do anything. But if you're gonna do something, do it in secret. Um, and it's this beautiful, like, such, like, clever, you know, and, and Shakespeare's use of dramatic irony throughout the whole piece, right, of, like, us knowing more than the characters and the fact that, that we, we understand, we, like, we see them willing to do this crazy stuff, not knowing that, that they're talking to the wrong person is fantastic. Absolutely. But then, Yeah. yeah, and then, and then after she leaves, uh, Dromeo runs in and that's, what you yeah. were talking about earlier with he he's met his twin's wife who right is, uh, who is is roundly mocked for being yeah. you know a fat greasy woman who works in the kitchen a little bit of fat phobia in there in a, in a, in a, like how do you deal with that potentially it's, insensitive scene but one that you can really tell that shakespeare was just trying to have as much fun as it's it's one of those classic play. yeah one of those classic scenes where shakespeare has an idea specifically this woman is round like a globe and yeah. he just, he's just like, okay, now I'm going to list every country that I can think of. And every I'm going to try, world. I'm going to try to find a metaphor for every single country on yeah. a person's body. Um, yeah. <laughs> just him enjoying himself and, and his use of the language. Yeah, um, and I had a lot of fun with that scene too. It's, it's a fun scene. I mean, yeah, like you say, it can, you, you gotta be careful of the, of the line you're towing uh, yeah. when being insulting towards, uh, towards Pornell. Uh, she yeah. doesn't probably deserve all of that, but it is, no. there's just so much, there's so much delightful use of, of language in the scene too. Um, yeah. But if, if done right, it can be, I've, yes, we've, there's, a, there's a particular uh, family that comes to summit every so often. If you're listening, I don't know your names, but hello. Um, who, who consistently inform me that they still remember that scene as, as arguably their favorite that they've seen us do. Oh, that's so great. How did you guys do that scene? Uh, it was just, it was just uh, the lovely Joe Pichetti as Antipholus and me as Dromeo. Yes. Um, it was just a very broad kind of physical uh, yeah. let's let's describe the body as as clearly as possible without getting gross um yeah it was very 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 fun very physical yeah definitely involved me jumping around and pointing to my you know my arms and my legs and my butt and whatever else <laughs> yeah great that's so good so in that scene dromeo of syracuse is like okay we got to get out of here like, yeah these people know us why do they know us that's concerning this woman is telling me that she's like my wife and she's not i'm really freaked out we gotta go and so they decide to leave um obviously that's not gonna happen for them because you know the play would just in there right so the next scene is um ephesus and Tibullus of ephesus because he's been passed away from his own home, decides kind of out of anger to go see the courtesan. So that's similar also to the original play. He's got sort of a side piece. We don't really know. <laughs> yeah. Up to interpretation. She's a, she's a, she's a courtesan. She's a, she, yeah, she's, she's someone that, uh, that entertains Antiphilus at her house and they have dinner together. Yeah. We're, they just we're left, dinner. we're left to understand anything more of that that we want to anger he goes to that dinner he gives the ring to the courtesan um and then he's supposed to give her a chain but at oh, the yeah. end of at the end of the previous scene he's supposed to give he's supposed to give her a chain instead of um giving it to his wife 
which right. he was intentional. Uh, it was a gift for his wife. And he goes, oh, fine. If I don't get to have dinner in my own house, I'll just give your gifts to this other woman instead. And right. this is great because, of course, at the end of that previous scene, after Dromeo runs off and says, we got to get out of here, Angelo, his parasite, um, ends up and, and shows up and gives him, gives uh, Antiphilus of Syracuse the chain. So then right. after he sees, after he sees, after Antiphilus, after Antiphilus of Ephesus sees the courtesan, Angelo comes back and says, here's the bill, here's the receipt, give me my money. And right. the other Antiphilus doesn't know what he's talking about. He goes, Because he hasn't doing? ever received it. Yeah, so that scene ends Maybe with him getting, getting arrested. Um, right. Because, you know, he's not paid up. Right. So we have um, Antiphilus of Ephesus who's arrested. We have the two um, Antiphilus and Dromi of Syracuse who are trying to leave. Mm -hmm. um, Dromi of Syracuse comes into the scene as Antiphilus of Ephesus is getting arrested. And he's like, hey, I have that ship. I have like passage to a ship like yeah. you want, which looks really bad for Antiphilus of Ephesus because it looks like he's trying to not pay for this chain and he's trying to like skip town. Trying to cut um, and run, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he, and dashing. Gets, he gets really frustrated and um sends uh Dromeo of Syracuse back to his home, which doesn't make any sense to Dromeo of Syracuse because he's like, Why am I going back to that like the place where those witchy ladies knew our names, right? To get gold. Um so he sends Dromeo of Syracuse back to get gold. Dromeo of Syracuse goes back. Um, he has a whole conversation with Adriana and Luciana about how he, this like, um, like big, scary officer demon that like took their husband and he needs the money. And so it works and, and they give him the money. And then he goes back to his Antipolis and tries to give Antipolis this money and then sees that he's like, Antipolis of Syracuse is just living his best life. He had someone walk up to him and like give him a, a fresh pair of clothes. So he's got like a nice suit now and he's got this beautiful chain and he's just like marveling at this like magical land that is so kind to him. Um, and Jerome of Syracuse thinks that he's saving him from being like locked up forever. Yeah. Basically, he runs in with like all of this urgency and sees his uh, his Antipolis like decked out, just like strolling down the street. And then they get confronted by the courtesan. The courtesan is there because she was supposed to have the chain, right? And she mm -hmm. she has the ring. Um, but he has the ring. He has her ring. Oh yeah, he has. Um, the and Devil's Baptist has the ring. Yeah, it's like it's like the it's like the the down payment for the chain. Like you, right. uh, I'll give you back the ring, and I'll give you the chain later. Like here's right. my ring to assure you. Right. Okay. Yeah. So she thinks that Antipolis of Syracuse has her ring, but he doesn't, obviously, because Antipolis of Ephesus does. But she can see that he has the chain that he promised her. So she's trying to get the chain. It's the same scene we talked about before where Dromi of Syracuse is like, she's a witch. <laughs> like he's kind of in on it. He's seen enough of the shenanigans to understand that this is like not a positive situation for them. Um, so they, they don't give her the chain. They just call her a witch and like try to shoo her away and then yeah. they leave. Please. The next scene is also similar to the original play, right? Where Antiphilus of Ephesus is being confronted, not by a doctor, but by like a, a sort of spiritual leader. Yeah, I mean, he's called Dr. Pinch, but fairly oh, yeah. clearly he's not like, this is not a man of medicine. Like he's a bit of a crackpot. <laughs> yeah. He's, he, yeah, he, cause his, his pronouncement is, you know, he's mad, his servant is mad. You gotta lock him up. You gotta put him in the basement cause that's where they'll, if you you got to put them in darkness so that they'll regain their their spirits like he's <laughs> he's definitely a bit of a, a of a wacko yeah so he's like trying to um get intervals of Ephesus to go home with his wife mm -hmm. and his sister um in this the play that like the version of the production that we did in optimus uh it was robert spencer again and he he was incredible <laughs> And they're yes. like this this big chase scene around mm -hmm. the face. Um, and that was really fun. Uh, 
so th this is kind of like the end of the play. This right? is really the slapstick end, because yeah, because they they haul away Dromeo of Ephesus and and Antipholus of Ephesus in chains to go hide in the basement because they've yeah. been, they've gone insane. And then like yeah. five seconds later, the two from Syracuse walk in, and everyone goes, "Oh my God, they escaped! Run!" And, and then, they have like weapons now because yes. they're. They're like freaked out now, the two Syracuse boys. They're convinced they're like, that all the Ephesians are like witches, and so they're going to yeah. to fight their way out of the city. So they just captured who they believe to be like, you know, two single entities of people and brought them to be locked away. And then all of a sudden, these two people from their perspective show up like fully armed, like ready to attack. So yeah. they um, chase everybody else off stage. Like a little victory dance, mm -hmm. um, the two Syracuse boys, and then what and, happens? And then they, and then uh, then they're approached by the merchant uh, uh, once again Angelo. for the Angelo and the merchant once again for right. the money. Um, right. And uh, but it's but it's the Syracusians, and so they they're like we're gonna we're gonna run, we're gonna fight, we're gonna get out of here one way or another. So they yeah. end up running away from like a whole train of people and they end up at the at the priory, at the at the abbey, right. where unbeknownst to them, that Antiphilus's mother is uh is living as a nun after she got shipwrecked uh, right. in, in the same land. Yeah, even though she was separated from her son, she was separated from Dromeo and Antiphilus Ephesus. Mm -hmm. Um so she's like completely by herself. But it's super convenient that they just, they accidentally run home to mom and they don't even know yeah. <laughs> that they do. And she like explains it to out. them inside, yeah. Yeah, she comes out like sort of guns blazing is like, how dare you treat these people like this? And then the Duke brings Aegean in and this is where the confusion starts to dispel because mm -hmm. he recognizes his wife, obviously, and then they like have a connection and they explain the situation to the Duke and then they bring out, so at this point in time, you have everybody on stage except for Antiphilus and Dromeo of Syracuse and mm -hmm. they bring them out. And now you can see that it's not one guy who's just like creating havoc and his servant. It's two people that like a set of four people actually who confused for each other all day and then they're like yay we understand yeah. it's kind of a triple wedding ish kind yeah, of yeah we get the we get the the classic shakespeare ending where where uh antiphilus of syracuse marries uh luciana um, yeah. because it's clear that they both wanted to but that she thought he was the, his, her sister's wife or her sister's yeah. husband i mean yeah. um so now she's like cool i can now do she that can now. Have him. Yeah, yeah i'm free to do it which is crazy. Like, imagine, imagine that happens, and you're like, "Oh, great! We each, we each get a twin now." <laughs> yeah, I don't know how I feel about that, but <laughs> it worked out for them at the end. And yeah, you have that classic Shakespeare ending where everybody's happy and they have like a big feast, and that's that's how the comedies always end is with a wedding or two, you know? So that's, yeah, it's good. A question that's for you. Yeah. Do, do, Talk to me about what you think are themes of this play. Like, this is so broad in comparison to a lot of Shakespeare's other comedies. Do you think that there are still, like, themes to it? Do you think there's still commentary in it? Or is it just, you know, just comedy for the sake of, of comedy? Yeah, I think, honestly, it is mainly for the sake of comedy. It does yeah. feel like Shakespeare's kind of writing much fun as he can at the expense of these characters basically but you can easily find themes in there of like trust obviously because there's a lot of like confusion and a lot of bonds being like broken a lot of contrasts being broken like contracts sorry mm -hmm. being broken um so i think that you know you can find trust there you could find like friendship to be a part of it, depending on how you view the, the characters and their relationships with each other. Um, I'm trying to think what else. What themes do you see? I feel like there's a lot of, I feel like it, it at least somewhat touches on this concept of personal identity. I think, Definitely. you know, you see that with, with Antiphilus has that great speech about, you know, I to the world, I'm, I'm like a drop of water seeking another drop, you know, in a, in a vast ocean, you know, this concept of like, 
something about him doesn't feel quite whole. But then also yeah. this, that sort of real, like, you know, the, the environment starts to shape Antipholus of Syracuse. And he starts to, you know, it's, it's that confusion of like, am I who I think I am? All these people think that I'm mm. someone else. And there's like, yeah. there's definitely sort of an undercurrent of like, what is personal identity <laughs> that I think yeah. then gets even more explored when you get to Twelfth Night with the twins. Like, I feel like there's that real understanding that Shakespeare's like, there's something about twins getting mistaken for each other that helps us explore their identities yeah um and i think he definitely fleshes it out with a little bit more pathos in in twelfth night but i think that the foundation is here in comedy of errors and i think too there's there's a real sort of i mean there's a sense to me in this play about about being a stranger in a strange land being someone who came from came from another place and there's all the political tension between Syracuse and Ephesus you can't come here we're going to execute you um Mm. you know and this idea of sort of being you know and once again uh Viola in Illyria I mean there's a lot of parallels between Comedy of Errors and Twelfth Night in this sort of way of you know a strange uh, a person coming to a strange land and and being sort of concerned, you know, not wanting wanting something, wanting to find something very badly, but but the 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 threat, the constant concern is that this place might have it out for me. Like this, I might be in danger pretty much all the time here. Yeah, and in both plays, you do have identity where like Viola is not being seen as herself the whole time, which is mm-hmm. the same thing for Antipolis and Dromeo in comedy so that's actually yeah it's a good point yeah i feel like it's just very interesting that way yeah i like that do you want to join me uh as a as an end cap to read the very end of the last scene of the play uh as a pair of dromeos the two dromeos yeah it's so sweet i can give you a sec to pull that up yeah i'm ready you ready? Great. Um, so <laughs> before we're done, because uh, I think we can end on text, but before, before we finish, thank you again to Rebecca yeah. for joining us. Thanks for having me. And uh, thanks to everybody who has been listening and following along with our Nobower Summer. Thanks to everyone who has supported us through donations, through kind words, uh, just through engaging with our content. Uh, it's been a pleasure having you, and we're looking forward to one more good month of, uh, of, of things to put out. Uh, so I think that it only makes sense for you to read Romeo of Syracuse. Yes. Uh, and whatever you want. There is a fat friend at your master's house that kitchened me for you today at dinner. Now she shall be my sister, not my wife. You think so? You are my glass, not my brother. I see by you, I am a sweet-faced youth. Will you walk in to see their gossiping? Not I, sir. You are my elder. That's a question. How shall we try it? (laughs) We'll draw cuts for the senior. Till then, lead thou first. Nay, then. Thus. We came into the world like brother and brother, and now let's go hand in hand not one before another.